Welcome to Indie Cider, where we go beyond the game and meet the developers behind today's indie hits. I'm your host, Ken Gagney. This week on the Indie Cider podcast, where I play indie games and then interview the developers, I'll be speaking with the designers of the recently released Steam game Mushroom Eleven. I first saw this game in September at the Boston Festival of Indie Games, but didn't get a chance to actually get some hands-on time with it. It was that popular. I finally got to play it when it came out for Steam on October 15th. I'm happy to say it's a cool game. It's set in a post-apocalyptic environment where humans have disappeared from the Earth. We don't know exactly what happened to them or why, but what we do know is that one of the survivors of the Holocaust is a mushroom. It's your job to guide this fun guy through a variety of obstacles and dangers. And the way you do this, well, first let me explain what exactly the mushroom is. It's not like a Super Mario mushroom. It is actually just a green amorphous blob. And if you take no action, it does nothing. It's basically just a geometric shape. You use your mouse or trackpad to erase parts of it. But I put erase in air quotes because anytime you remove part of the mushroom, it reappears somewhere else. So you can actually draw a line right down the middle of the mushroom and split it up into two halves. If you then erase one entire half of the mushroom, the other half returns to its original size. Likewise, if you erase one side of the mushroom, it reappears as part of the other side. It's a funky mechanic that takes a little bit of gain used to, but once you do, you realize that you can use it to shift the mushroom center of gravity, for example, to change its shape and cause it to lean one way or the other and thus roll or climb or move as you need it to to get from one place to the other. This can allow it to defy gravity by going up pipes or to latch onto moving wheels to get from one side to the other or even to attack enemies, of which there are several in this game. The 2D art style is very appropriate for this dark setting, and so is the music. The soundtrack is courtesy The Future Sound of London, a British electronic music band. The ambient undertones really set the mood for the game. This game was provided to me by the developers for the purpose of this interview, and you can see me playing it on youtube.com gamebits, where it is paired with the interview you are about to hear. The game itself can be found at mushroom11.com. That is the number 1111. That link and links to all the resources mentioned in this interview can be found at indiesider.net. So check out the game, the podcast, the channel, and leave some feedback at feedback at indiesider.net. Thanks for listening. Today I'm speaking with Itai Karen, co-designer and programmer of Mushroom 11, and Julia Karen Dittar, co-designer of Mushroom 11, both from Untamed Games. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. So your game at the time of this recording just came out less than a week ago. That must be a huge relief after having worked on it for so long. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's definitely been a roller coaster of like you know crazy. Uh, emotions, excitement, fear—you know the, the the whole thing. But it's been it's been really great to get this game out and to have people play it. Not many people mention fear. What were you most afraid of? Well, it's just you work on something for so long and you put it out for the world to see. I think any creative experience has that kind of fear of like, will people like it? You know, how will people receive it? You know, that that kind of fear of like anything creative that you're so close to, just because it's a little bit a little bit of you that you're sort of putting out there for the world. Sure, I can imagine. So my first question is, Mushroom 11, what happened to Mushroom 1 through 10? <laughs> That's kind of part of uh, going directly into the game. Um, you know, that's a kind of a question that is, um, it almost sounds like a, like almost a joke, 
but it, it actually is part of the story that is only told through um, images and certain artifacts that you see throughout the game. Um, right, so if you go through different parts of the level, you'll see references to those mushrooms 1 through 10. So we we created a story around, um, you know, why this, you know, this thing exists. And we sort of leave the story elements in the background for players to figure out or piece together if they want to or not. Yeah, the story is very subtly told. It's not like World of Goo where there are signposts describing to you what's happening. It's more like Limbo where there's a complete lack of dialogue either written or spoken and readers are and players are left to infer exactly what's happening. Is there a specific narrative that you have in mind or is it more open to interpretation? Uh, well, so we had a specific narrative in mind to guide us along what we were planning to, you know, put in the background, but we purposely tried to leave it up to players' interpretation, so we wanted to be very subtle in terms of, like, we didn't want signposts being like, hey, this happened here. Like, we thought it was more important for players to piece those bits together, and if they come up with, like, a different story that's not the same as ours, then we're totally fine with it, as long as they have enough material to go off of to like guess and come to conclusions of what happened we feel like that's more powerful storytelling than just telling the players what happened it reminds me a bit of journey another indie game where it did have these narrative cutscenes, but without the lack of any spoken or written language it was still open to interpretation like i played that game once through and i feel like i need to play it again to try to figure out what happened because i know i didn't come to the same conclusions as some other players did right yeah same with us yeah, that's the, exactly the, the idea. Uh, we feel like, especially in first-time rounders, you're introduced to this mechanics that it's it's pretty um, unique and kind of uh, uh, absorbs the player around it more, um, potentially more than the story. So we, we, we thought it would be unwise to to do any sort of cutscenes or, or, or something like that. I think the, the idea of what Limbo did, Limbo is a huge inspiration in... in Many many levels, um, but in terms of stories, it's very much uh, uh, what they chose to do. And uh, there are a lot of limbo-esque uh, features um, that kind of shine through the game as 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 such a big inspiration for us. I was thinking of limbo as I was playing this game. I I was reminded of, in terms of gameplay mechanics, a WiiWare game called Fluidity. Have you played that one? Um, I've I haven't played, but uh, I've uh, I've definitely heard about it. But yeah, it's uh, there. I think the the, the good thing about um, uh, Mushroom Eleven is that it throws a lot of players into um, various uh, inspirations for them, uh, and uh, we've seen a lot of um, um, a lot of players coming in with with even more remote uh, examples, and it's pretty amazing to see someone who's t- 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 telling us about this old Sega game called. Uh, uh, the ooze, which I knew about, but uh, only learned about after people told me that there's some interesting similarities, and it's kind of like throwing it out there. It's kind of taking, uh, it's kind of this this association with a lot of different games, and yet, as uh, as we've been told, it's it's still very very unique and and plays differently than any one of those games. I was not a Sega player growing up, so I missed the ooze. But when I first encountered Mushroom Eleven. It, it never would have occurred to me to combine fluidity with Limbo, for example, because fluidity is such a lighthearted game, especially it being a WiiWare game. 
what made you choose to create such a dark setting for Mushroom 11, which is in stark contrast to a lot of puzzle games, in my opinion? I think we, we weren't really... Okay, when, when we started this as a, in the Global Game Jam, I don't think... You know, there was no certain reference that we were uh, going after. It was... Uh, um, I think the biggest inspiration was the actual theme of the Global Game Jam. And uh, which was um, the Ouroboros, which is the symbol of the snake eating its tail. I wasn't really looking into trying to make like a a game of life or something that mimics uh, fluid dynamics or or whatnot. What I was really trying to do is make a platformer slash puzzle game, doesn't matter. I I wasn't really sure where this was going at the time. Uh, So a platformer that you cannot control directly. But instead, you control the negative space. You control it by destroying. And destroying subsequently leads to growth. So all these experiments led to all sorts of different direction. And, and this was once we hit this, like, a single set of cells. I'm calling it a single set of cells, not, you know, a batch of cells. Because you feel like they belong to you once you... you get to that number of cells that feel they feel like uh they, they are like a group of one thing and then you 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 feel like you're a part of you, this is you this is this is what you control once we got that you have like this true protagonist that doesn't really look like anything uh, else from other platformers but it was very clear that something interesting was happening there so that was like the moment of okay this is this is interesting this is something that we need to to uh, look into even after the the game jam is over. And I think trying to, you know, decide, you know, which route to go. I mean, I think we were looking at the time at Limbo and Raymond Legends and trying to think of like, okay, you're this like fungus looking mushroom in this game. So, and we just started to like also look at pictures of nature taking over in abandoned places. And that was a big inspiration for us in terms of like the setting, just because it seemed to fit. And we were really drawn to that idea of like, you know, it was reflected in the mechanic. You're like completely destroying your character and it's growing on its own. And that's how you, you get anything done in the game. And so the idea that like, you know, you know, an abandoned place where people used to live, but they don't live there anymore, but it's still full of life. That was really interesting for us. So we, we took a lot of those images of like abandoned places. And um, we worked with um, Simon Kono, who's our artist, and he had already a very like great sort of kind of happy post-apocalyptic art style in a way. It was like very it, you know, it's like very um, dark, but then also kind of full of colors and it doesn't look like so gray. And we were super drawn to a lot of the sketches he had done before and some of his artwork. And uh, we were able to get him to work on the game for us. And it just sort of came out from there. Have you heard of a book called The World Without Us by Alan Weissman? Oh, yeah. Um, I think, uh, well, we've been we've been doing a lot of research about uh, what happens when uh, our positive and mostly negative influence over the world is, is gone. And uh, we've seen a lot of uh, movies and, and read uh, books and, and saw a lot of uh, uh, art style that is inspired by these things. Uh, and I think that also kind of takes you back to the, to the idea of what the game really is, you know, the destruction and, and regrowth being this one and the same, this cycle. 
And, um, and that kind of led to this uh, story and to the art style and everything comes together. Uh, we feel um, uh, pretty well. And also with uh, Simon's uh, art style, uh, we're, we're very happy um, that we were able to uh, get inspired by these, these pieces of art and, and literature uh, like, like the ones you said. As you mentioned, the game was first conceived of as part of a 2012 game jam where the theme was the snake eating, eating its own tail. How has the game changed since its original idea three years ago? If you look at the, um, at the prototype, it is a completely different game. It, is, it looks and plays differently. Here's the thing. The idea is exactly the same. You have a certain number of cells. You remove the, those cells and they will immediately regrow someplace else which allows you to also shape it and split it and whatnot. But at the time, this was so new to us. And this is one of those things that you need to kind of like, this needs to simmer for, for years, literally, and, and to understand what you can do with it. And at the time, all we could do is just, uh, you know, what I, I was planning on doing is just kind of the basic platformer elements that I was already familiar with in, from other games. So basically, it was a very simple, um, kind of clunky platformer with very basic platforming mechanics with, you know, moving platforms, rotating, you know, moving belts and, and whatnot. And you basically need to go from A to B. It took us years to understand the potential and change the game. And on top of that, all the growth, you know, the, the, the growth mechanics, how to make it feel really well and you know, move really fast, allow the player to control it really well because it was almost uncontrollable at the time. Uh, but th- definitely there was some uh, potential that we saw and otherwise we wouldn't even continue working on it. Another key element of Mushroom 11's development period was not crowdfunding, but the indie fund. Can you tell us a little bit about what that works and what you, how that works and how, what you got out of it? One of the things that we uh, decided to do... Uh, pretty early on is, is to try to kind of avoid uh, the more traditional crowdfunding. Uh, we, we were able to, um, we were fortunate enough to be, uh, to have contact and, you know, good contact with uh, Indie Fund after they saw the, uh, the prototype and they followed through uh, in, in some of the shows that we showed it very early on, like Indicate in 2012. And uh, at some point they decided to, uh, and go in and and uh, help us uh, fund the game. Indie Fund, if you if, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, is a well at least it started as a, a group of a few uh, very successful indie developers. Um, uh, some of whom are are Ron Carmel and uh, for, who made the World of Ron Carmel and and Kyle Gaver uh, who made the World of Goo. You have a uh, Kelly Santiago who made. Uh, Journey, you have uh, Jonathan Blow, uh, Aaron Isaacson. You have a bunch of really, really talented... Oh, Nathan Bella, um, Matthew uh, Wagner. Anyway, a bunch of really, really good people. Sorry, I, 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 as I was listing them, I realized, okay, I don't want to leave people behind. So, um, A lot of really awesome people that have like inspired us as well, um, yeah, well that we really respected. So this was... Getting their support has been really awesome and, and getting their, their advice and backing as well. 
Oh, IndieFund has uh, been really helpful because they're very hands-off. It's not like a publisher who will be like, oh, you're not making this casual enough or you're not making this like for this demographic or, uh, you know, they're, they're very hands-off. They were like, you, you know, make this game the way you see it and, you know, we'll, we'll help you, you know, get through the development cycle. So and that was just really amazing to have these people back us. It's great that you're able to retain your creative vision because even with crowdfunding, your funders often participate to a degree in the design process, and that can be very powerful and very encouraging. But at the same time, this money that comes in through crowdfunding isn't free. There is some trade-off. There is some investment in there. Right, and you have to uh, – a lot of um, times when people plan a Kickstarter, they don't take into consideration how much stuff costs. So like they, they promise to ship a lot of things or – you know, like postcards, posters, T-shirts, all this stuff, and that eats into the funds too. Um, but and, and the uh, flip side, like you know, Kickstarter is a great way to you know start marketing your game really early on, which which is something that we we didn't really have to have to do just because we we didn't do the Kickstarter, and maybe that was you know a disadvantage for us because we we didn't have this huge strong community going in to launch day. Um, like other people who had really great Kickstarters did. But that's not to say you were entirely cut off from your audience or that you didn't do any marketing because Mushroom 11 has been demoed not only at Indicate, as you mentioned, but also at PAX and Boston Fig, the Boston Festival of Indie Games, which was held just last month. How has the reception at those events been? It's been great, and it's also been really informative. Um, We've been showing the game at those kind of shows throughout the development cycle. And for the most part, we, it's really informed our first user experience or our tutorial system. Um, getting, and I think we worked on our tutorial system for about two years. It's taken a really long time to try to get the right set of puzzles and get the right set of flow for the, for the very first chapter. That's what we consider our tutorial system. And, um, what, you know, having so many people play it, uh, has really helped us, like, understand, like, how to, how to, make it easier for people to like wrap this idea around their heads of like, you know, destruction and growth and you're not directly controlling it. So, but how do you feel like you have control? Um, so that was like really important to us. We wanted people at the end of the level to have like a good sense of control. So they don't have to be thinking about how to move their mushroom and they can move on to like more challenging puzzles in the later chapters. And given the way that players do erase the mushroom, it seems like it would be a good fit for touch interfaces. I see on the mushroom11.com website that the game is planning on coming out for mobile devices in 2016. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, that's that's the plan. Um, we <clears throat> definitely see the advantages of uh, of going. We ha- actually had a, a while back, we had a prototype uh, on, mo- on mobile, on tablets. Uh, it's definitely very, very interesting and different uh, type of play. It has it's very tactile, has a lot of advantages. It has a couple of uh, challenges that we're we just want to make sure that we solve before uh, putting it in the market. Uh, but yeah, definitely that's that's the plan. We we believe it's going to be a really really interesting experience. When we say touch interfaces, does that include the Wii U and its gamepad? We are also looking at the at the Wii U as well as the Vita. There, there are a couple of uh, you know specific challenges for each one of those as well. We're trying to get it to any any device that fits the mechanics, so that it's it's not like forced on it, or, and that it plays well and and feels right. Definitely, you're not going to settle on on something that doesn't 
doesn't uh, really convey the the mushroom the mushroomness the experience <laughs> is there any advice you can give for players who are having some challenges with the game when you say challenges one of the things that comes to mind is that um we we definitely have the game is pretty long and one of the reasons why it's it's so long is because this mechanic allows us to allows us to really challenge yourself coming with new ideas that uh, are connected to this kind of uh, um, control scheme. And as the game progresses, some of these uh, challenges become very, very difficult. Now that we're out, some, some of the, the, the things that we see after you get the game played by thousands and, uh, and thousands of players is you can you can take some of these uh, experiences and kind of like smooth them out, make sure that players are, um, uh, are still enjoying the game, make make sure that there's nothing that's uh, overly frustrating. So we kind of like work with the community, making sure that uh, if changes are needed, they're made uh, swiftly. We're actually planning on uh, making a, a big update in the next uh, day or so. So. Um, but in terms of advice, I, I, it's kind of hard to to point to any advice for players, just because it's something that uh, unless you see it, it's hard to understand. So, like me telling a player, like, "Oh, you're deleting and you're not pushing something," like they can understand and register, but it won't actually register until they like have experienced it. Um, but I think just, you know, like trying to think about these puzzles in a different, a different way, trying to think about like, um, sculpting the, sculpting the mushroom kind of like Play-Doh, um, is a really good way of thinking about how to move if you're sort of struggling early on. Um, so yeah, I think that that would be the advice. Yeah. The one thing that we, we really, I mean, not having a hard time, but just like, this is a, a kind of like a futile challenge is to try to explain the game in words, you know, and we, we, we always have the, the pitch that we have, but the pitch kind of, you know, sounds, uh, sounds foreign without having to at least see um, a video or something. So we try to, uh, as much as possible, we try to always uh, show, um, you know, clips or vines and GIFs, um, because really, and, and and if possible, let the let that person play. Because there really is no good way to explain the game without playing it. I love that analogy of thinking of the game as Play-Doh. I'm gonna have to do that next time I play. Thank you. <laughs> you mentioned a big update coming in the next few days. Can you give us a sneak preview of what that might contain? Um, it's just sort of uh, polishing, addressing some of the feedback we got early on uh, about you know saving stuff, saving little pickups and things like that. Um, it's pretty minor. We're just sort of going through some of the later levels and, and making some of the puzzles a little bit uh, e- easier, but not, you know, not too easy. We still want it to be a, a pretty big challenge. Um, yeah, yeah so just basically, sort of yeah, roughing uh, out the edges. Yeah, it means like streamlining the, the, the curve. Um, and But also touching a couple of very important points that... Uh, uh, some players were were talking about you know this is this is good you know having a community that helps you make the game the best it can be sometimes when you work on on a game for so long um you you we keep saying that we're just getting too good at the game to actually see some of its faults uh you know everything 
when you play the game for you know thousands of times then you don't even see difficulty in the same way as as a fresh player um so that was kind of a thing that uh we were um you know we, a lot of people were kind of talking about how how challenging the game is and and even uh, uh difficult at at times so we want to make sure that there's there's the barrier to entry is very um you know it's mild so one one of the things that we know is that the first few levels really get you into the into the game kind of uh, introduce you to all the d- different things you can do with it and then starting in level in chapter five and 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 forward it's really starting to challenge you to to do things that you wouldn't otherwise think uh were p- possible in 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 any game not even in this one so you want to make sure that any obstacle that is kind of a uh, irrelevant to the fun of the game is uh, is not there to to stop you from enjoying that's basically what we're trying to do it sounds like you've gotten a lot of great feedback and you're responding to that there's one piece of feedback i'm particularly interested in for my last question of this interview what does paul stamets think of mushroom 11 <gasps> oh wow I, so i've been talking to uh, his company and uh, i i know that they've been actually playing some of the game and i think that they're really excited that we were inspired by his work and uh, I think that they're really excited that there's a game about mushrooms. And, you know, if anything, I just hope uh, the game will inspire people to, like, look up what mycelium is and what it can do. And and it already sort of is because people look at this and they're like, that doesn't look like a mushroom. That looks like a slime mold. You know? uh, so, like, I'm trying to break the barrier of what people think mushrooms are. So I guess that's that's already pretty good. Yeah, just, you know... Um... <laughs> Paul Stamets is is the that's the the guy who had you know he's been working on the practical um, application of mycelium in solving some of the environmental challenges that face us. So if you guys aren't um, aware, he has like a really great TED talk about how mushrooms can save the world by basically you know, breaking down things that are not um, biodegradable uh, by using them as um, you know, pesticides instead of like really harsh chemicals that end up destroying other life cycles um, and using them to treat oil spills and stuff like that. So it's like really interesting stuff that mushrooms can do to like kind of help, help uh, offset, offset our, our, in, <laughs> our influence and, and the damage. Yeah. And, and this is, uh, as uh, you know, as you mentioned, it's a, uh, it's a direct inspiration uh, that shines through the game for sure. And, um, also, in many many levels, and one of the things that we are very proud of is uh, after looking into a lot of the um, the science, the scientific uh, stuff that we learned through it, we we actually went even deeper, and and we just want to make sure that I mean, want to make sure that even the theories that this game is based on are um, sound, and we we ended up working with with uh, Scientists, with actual scientists, and everything that you see, um, you know, around you and on like on the walls and 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 theories and uh, formulas, it's all actual formulas that we we've devised for for this kind of alternate reality. Um, so we've we've worked on it a lot, um, and we wanted to make sure that you know, going back to the the first question about the story. It it I, we wanted everything to come together in a very genuine way, even though you're kind of playing this uh, reality where you know a person is playing a game about 
the world without people, but ha everything has to feel like this actually is a potential uh, uh, reality. It was very important to us. So it's a game that is both fun and educational. Congratulations. <laughs> well, we weren't definitely. I'm not sure how too, it, you know. We're not like, uh, 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 it's not, not too heavy handed, that's for sure. We're not trying to, to educate people in, like, okay, stop and listen. But if you do stop, then we want you to listen. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful balance that you've struck. Thank you. So it's been a great game. I've enjoyed playing it. Is there anything else you want our listeners to know before we sign off? Um, that you can get the game on Steam, GOG, and Humble right now. Uh, and um, you can follow us on Untamed Games um, for updates. Very good. And there will be a link to all of those in the show notes at indiesider.net. Julia and Ite, thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having us. This has been IndieCider, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at IndieCider.net.